Well, I hear the Bible says this. Is that really true? Um, even sincere Christians who really want to follow Christ sometimes have these questions that come into their minds that are very, very challenging for them to answer. And, and sometimes they even cause sincere Christians doubts. Well, over the next six weeks, we want to examine some of these objections to Christianity, some of these big buts that, that people have when it comes to faith in Christ. And today we're going to begin the series by looking at perhaps the biggest but of them all, which is, but how can God allow so much suffering and evil? This is a very poignant day to begin this series and to talk about this topic as you remember the topic of 9-11. Uh, Ten years ago, the, the dramatic, tragic terrorist attacks on New York City, on, um, on the Pentagon, and then the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. And, and all these attacks kill almost 3,000 people. We don't have to look very far to think about the suffering and evil that takes place in the world around us. Or you look even currently on the other side of the world in Somalia, how there's a great famine going on. A few days ago, the United Nations sent out an alert that unless things radically change and improve sometime soon, there's a decent likelihood that somewhere in the range of 750,000 people are going to die in Somalia of this famine between now and Christmas time. 750,000 dying of lack of food. Even look down through history. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out there's a lot of suffering and evil in the world. You look at the Hitlers, the Stalins, look at just things that have taken place through the centuries that show the suffering and the evil. But we don't have to look elsewhere. We don't have to look in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. We can even look into our own lives and see suffering and, and pain and evil that we experience ourselves. Maybe it's a cancer that's ravaging us or someone near to us. Maybe it is an accident that, that, that hurts someone or even takes someone's life. Miscarriage or infertility or abuse or, or some injustice that we are suffering under. There are any number of things that make this issue of suffering and evil and pain very personal to us. And it's tempting to think, okay, if I'm really following God faithfully, he'll surely protect me from some of the worst evils and sufferings that we can face. But the reality is that even those who are sincerely trying to follow Christ faithfully still face challenges and trials and deep suffering and evil in their own lives. I think of uh, some prominent Christian musicians uh, who are popular today. I think of someone like Jeremy Camp, who's very popular today, especially among younger generations. He lost his wife to cancer less than a year after they were married. I think of Stephen Curtis Chapman, who's been a very influential Christian musician for over 20 years. He has a number of children, and a couple of years ago, one of his older children was pulling into the driveway from a school event, and their five-year-old daughter was all excited to come greet her older brother. She ran out into the driveway. The older brother didn't see her. He got, she got run over and killed. Tragedies occur to people who are faithful to God and people who aren't, who aren't faithful to God. It seems like the same suffering and evil can come on people whether or not they follow God or not. And so we come to this topic of suffering and evil and tragedy and pain, recognizing that it can cause a lot of emotional pain, but also, and that's kind of the personal side of it, but there's also the philosophical or theological side asking, if God is so great, if he's so powerful, if he's so loving, why doesn't he limit or even eliminate the amount of pain, suffering, and evil experienced in this world? 
It's one of the biggest questions that we can ever face. As I said, there are a couple different sides of it. The personal side is we personally are dealing with this. And then the theological or the philosophical side trying to figure out how do we make sense of God and evil at the same time? Well, today we're going to look at this topic together, see what the Bible has to say about it. I wish it were easy, though. I wish it were like that Staples commercial. You may be familiar with the commercials where Staples, the office supply store, where they have an easy button, where a customer comes up to a sales representative with some business challenge or saying, do you have any idea how I can handle this? They pull out the easy button, push that button, and say, that was easy. I wish that we had an easy button when we're coming to this topic of suffering and evil, where we could just push the button and say, you know what? Here's a nice, easy, simple solution to it. Unfortunately, even though the Bible gives us some very clear answers and directions on this topic of suffering and evil, it's not easy. If it were easy, we wouldn't be having this discussion today. The reality is that these are very challenging topics. They're oftentimes very personal topics as we examine the hurts in our own lives. But because it's one of the big objections that people have to the Christian faith, because it's one of those topics that brings a lot of doubt into our lives as Christians, we want to address it this morning. So as we begin to turn our focus to Scripture and see what God has to say about this challenging topic, I invite you to join me in prayer as we seek His guidance this morning. Our Lord, we come to this challenging topic this morning recognizing that on one hand it's difficult to reconcile the suffering and evil we see around us with the, with the fact of who you are revealed in Scripture, of how loving and powerful you are. But on the other hand, we recognize that this is a very personal topic for many of us. As many people here in this room this morning have faced significant degrees of suffering and pain and tragedy in their own lives and the lives of those they love. And Lord, so as we come to this topic this morning, we pray that you will be our teacher and our guide. You will teach us through your word and through your spirit. Even the words that I speak will be faithful to you, Lord. God, please guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, there are a couple different sides to this topic of suffering and evil. There's the theological and philosophical side of how, how can we reconcile this all-good, all-powerful God with the evil and suffering we have in this world. But then there's the other side, the personal side. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at both of those sides. I recognize that, that we have limited time, so we aren't going to be able to look at it in incredible depth. But my hope is that we can shed some light on these challenging issues. So first, we're looking at more of the philosophical or the theological side, and then we'll get to that personal side. First of all, we need to recognize that philosophically or theologically, we're talking here about what's called the problem of evil. The problem of evil basically says that if God is all-powerful and all-loving— why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? Those things don't really make much sense because it seems like if God was so loving that he would want to get rid of the evil and suffering in this world, wouldn't he? But if he doesn't, then that must mean if he's all loving, that he's not able to do that. He's not powerful enough. On the other hand, if God is powerful enough to get rid of the suffering and evil in the world, but he doesn't, that must mean that he doesn't really want to. He must not really be as loving as we sometimes think he should be. This, this is where the problem comes in. And over and over and over, studies have shown that this is the number one objection to the Christian faith. This question of if God is so powerful and so loving, why does he allow so much suffering and evil in the world? And there have been many, many, many books written through the years on this topic. 
uh, many debates online in newspapers. It seems like every time there's a big tragedy, whether it's 9-11 or whether it's a tsunami somewhere or a major earthquake, people are asking questions of where is God in the midst of the suffering and evil? A number of years ago, there was a book written called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. This is a title where even if you haven't read the book, you probably have heard that phrase before. This book was written by a rabbi named Harold Kushner. He was trying to just process through the tragic loss of his 14-year-old son to a very rare disease. And so Harold Kushner wrote this book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, trying to figure out where is God in the midst of this. But he is a classic example of someone who, who minimizes one aspect of God's character to try to figure out why is there God and evil in the world. Basically what he says is God's not powerful enough to get rid of suffering and evil. He says in his book, God can't do everything and that we need to recognize his limitations. He says that we need to forgive him for not making a better world. In the conclusion of his book, he asks a question that sounds pretty holy, but in reality it's pretty self-righteous. He says, are you capable of forgiving and loving God even when you have found out that he is not perfect? I mean, I hear that and I say, ouch. I mean, he's basically saying that, you know what, there's a suffering and evil in the world. I know that God's loving, but he's not perfect. He's not really able to get rid of it. He minimizes what the Bible teaches about God being all-powerful. And this is a temptation that we minimize something about God when we, when we come across suffering and pain. But we need to also recognize that the Bible doesn't minimize these various aspects of God. I want to turn our focus as we're talking about this problem of evil to what the Bible has to say about God. The Bible says a lot about God. Uh, but this morning we're specifically going to look at those topics that relate to this question that we're facing. First of all, we see in the Bible that God loves very deeply. Think of John three sixteen: For God so loved the world, they sent his only son to this world so that we could live and not die. Think of Psalm 103, which says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to, uh, slow to anger and abounding in love. He's abounding in love. And in 1 John chapter 4, we actually see two different times that John writes, God is love. God is love. So in Scripture, there's no question over the fact that God is very deeply loving. We also see in Scripture that God is immeasurably powerful. Uh, one, we see this all over Scripture, but one place is in Isaiah 46, verse 10, where God says, My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. He's basically saying that whatever he wants to do, he will do, that nothing can stop or thwart his plans. And oftentimes when we see in Scripture talk about God's power, we see a reference to how God created the world. For instance, in Psalm 33, verse 6, it says that the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. So we see that God is powerful enough to create this universe, but we still have this difficult question of if God is so loving, if God is so powerful, why didn't he create a world where there wasn't any sort of pain and suffering? Now, there's one other aspect of God's uh, character that I want to point out before we move on to look more deeply into this topic of suffering and evil. We need to recognize that in the Bible, it's very clear that God is God and we aren't. God is God and we aren't. 
when we look at this topic of suffering and evil, we should really be humbled and recognize, you know what? We don't understand everything that's going on. And over and over in Scripture, when we see reference to people wrestling with suffering and evil and where is God in the midst of it, we have reminders of the fact that we don't fully understand everything. But that should make sense because we have a limited perspective. The book of Job is a place where many people turn when they are facing suffering and evil, trying to figure out where is God in the midst of it. The entire book is devoted to this topic. Most of the book is Job with a, couple, with a few of his friends debating over where is God right now. Why, am I de- why is Job dealing with all this suffering and evil even though he is a righteous person trying to follow God? After they offer chapter upon chapter of argument for where God is, God decides to step into the scene and rather than offering a direct answer of where he is in the midst of the suffering and evil and why Job is going through what he's going through, God asks a series of questions, a very long series of questions. Just things like, where were you when the world was created? Do you know how wide the ocean is? Do you know how deep the ocean is? Do you know all these things? Basically asking, saying, you know what? I'm God and you aren't. You don't understand all these things, but I do. At the end of Job, uh, Job himself responds to God after God has given him uh, question upon question. Job says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is, that, who is this that, secu- that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. I think as we approach this topic of suffering and evil in this world, we need to do so humbly, recognizing that we have a very limited perspective. I think too of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to recognize that God is God, and that we have a very limited perspective in this world. So even as we look for answers for why is there suffering and evil, we need to recognize that we probably aren't going to understand everything in this world. And if we think we will, we're basically just being arrogant. Because we are not God. We don't understand everything fully right now. Last night in our kitchen, uh, Shelly was preparing supper for our son, Micaias. Something happened that immediately when I saw it, I said, there's my sermon illustration for tomorrow. So here's what happened. Shelly was fixing supper for Micaias. It's not a long task. It takes only about a minute or so because we actually fix his meals, all three of his meals in the morning. And then they're in the refrigerator. So all we have to do when it comes to mealtime, take them out of the refrigerator, throw them in the microwave for about 20 seconds just to get the chill out of there, and then serve them. So Shelly was doing that. She was getting them out of the refrigerator, uh, putting them in the microwave. She was putting a little dab of meat in, in his vegetables to give him some protein. But as she is doing this, I mean, she and I know he's going to get fed very, very soon. But he is down there on the floor screaming bloody murder. I mean, I haven't heard him scream like that for a while. But he is screaming his head off, wanting his food right now. And you would think that, I mean, he's been home with us for, what, eight months or so? You would think that by now he would recognize the routine that three times a day, there is about one minute of preparation that has to go into his meal. But every single time he gets his food. For some reason, he doesn't seem to understand that, and he feels the need to scream every time as his food is being prepared. As parents, we understand what's going on. We know, okay, it takes a little bit of time to prepare his food, then he's going to get it. But as a little child, a two-year-old, he doesn't fully understand that yet. He will someday, 
But now his perspective is very limited. It's the same way for us as humans. That, that God, kind of like Shelley and I are, are his parents, he knows a lot more than we do. Just as we knew a lot more than Micaiah does about the situation. About an hour later, the situation kind of repeated in the bathtub. Uh, some reason, Micaiah did not understand why he can't stand up in a slick bathtub and raise his arms in the air. I mean, we had to keep telling Micaiah, sit down, sit down. Okay, Micaiah, one more time and your bath's over. Okay, now you're done. Um, he didn't understand why he can't stand up and raise his hands in the bathtub. He would understand if he slipped and fell, and that's the perspective that we have, that we know it's going to be very easy for him to fall and get hurt. He has a very limited, limited perspective. We have a, a larger perspective, but even our perspective is not infinite. Only God understands everything that's going on. And so as we're talking about this issue of evil and suffering, that's something we need to remember, is that our perspective is limited. That shouldn't scare us, but that should help us to place our trust in God and faith in Him, even in those times where we don't understand everything that's going on. Well, now I want to turn a little bit more deeply into the topic of suffering and evil in the Bible. Uh, first of all, we have this question of where does suffering and evil even come from? Did God create it? If so, that, that doesn't seem right. We need, to, we need to understand that evil, according to Scripture, is the result of sin in the world. Evil and God are not two eternally existing equal and opposite um, entities. Evil hasn't been around in this universe forever. It, it, it came around sometime after God created the world. Because Genesis 1 says that when God created the world, he created it to be good. After every step of creation, he said, this is good. After he created humans, he said, what he, saw, he said, this is very good. So God created the world to be good. He created it without evil and suffering. But then something happened. Sin entered the universe. It, sin started when God created the angels, and one angel named Satan decided he wanted to rebel against God. And in that rebellion against God came sin. And then when God created, created Adam and Eve, we see that Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve. At first they were created good, without sin, without evil, without suffering. But then Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God as well. And in that rebellion and in that sin against God, was where evil and suffering entered the world. And ever since then, the stains of sin have caused this world to experience pain and suffering and evil. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So evil is the result of sin. Now you may ask, okay, if evil is the result of sin, why didn't God just keep us from sinning? Well, one of the things we need to recognize is that the potential for evil is necessary if we are to be free. The potential for evil is necessary if we are to be free. You see, God wanted us to be able to love him. But there's no way that someone can love someone else if that love is forced. You see, we aren't robots. We aren't little puppets on a string that God is controlling. He gives us the freedom to make choices of our own. To truly love God, he had to enable us to freely choose to love him. I mean, parents recognize this and recognize the risk in giving freedom. Parents, as they're raising their children, one of the scary things is when they have to give their children a little bit more freedom as their children grow older. And a part of that freedom is that the children have the, the responsibility to choose what they're going to do. 
Now, I think there's probably a temptation as a parent to want to hold on tightly to their kid and make every decision for them so that they'll never make a bad choice. But the reality is that if the parents want the children to, to mature in a responsible way, they need to give the children freedom. And the children with that freedom have the choice to choose to do the right thing or to choose to do something that the parents wouldn't approve of and that God may not approve of. And that's what God had to do when he created us, is, is that if he really wanted us to be able to love him freely, we had to have that choice to turn against him as well. God didn't force us to turn away, but we chose on our own to turn away from him. When we look at the world around us with the suffering and with the evil, we, we need to recognize that much, probably even a significant majority of the suffering and evil that we face is of human origin. It's from sin. It's from one person, doing, or one person or a group of people doing something, either directly or indirectly, that hurts someone else. You even look at natural disasters. You may be asking, okay, well, sin accounts for a lot of the suffering, but what about natural disasters in the world? Well, we need to recognize in Genesis 3 that when sin entered the world, God, God pronounced a curse upon significant parts of the earth and the universe. And a part of that curse, it's, it's called the fall of humanity. Uh, part of that had to do with the natural order of things. And I believe that that's when a lot of these natural disasters started to enter the world. But one of the things we need to recognize is that even natural disasters oftentimes are, are made even worse by human sin. Think about the famine over in Somalia right now that's projected to kill in the range of 750,000 people in the next few months if something doesn't change. We could say, well, that's, that's the result of, of a lot of hot weather and, and dry climate and stuff like that. That's a part of it. But it's interesting when we look at the fact that there is currently a drought going on in the southern United States, in Texas, Oklahoma, uh, New Mexico, places like that, where the drought is just as bad or even worse than what Somalia is currently facing. The, the average temperature in Texas right now is about 20 degrees warmer than it is in Somalia right now. The drought, in many ways, is even worse in Texas than it is in Somalia. But the people in Texas are not wondering, am I going to have enough food to eat? They aren't wondering, am I going to be able to keep living or keep doing my business? Because there is a structure in place to support them. If you, if you read the news about what's going on in Somalia, you, you have probably heard about the roadblocks that are up that keep the Somali people from receiving aid. The government, for one, is, is not operating very well to support the people and to create practices and structures that will keep famine from really being destructive. But also there are terrorists in, in Somalia who are keeping the planes of food and the planes of aid from reaching the people. See, it's human sin. It's really making the, the famine in Somalia as bad as it is. Yeah, the drought is not helping anything at all. But human sin plays a part in this as well. But one of the things we need to recognize from Scripture as well is that God works through evil. We can't account for everything. There are going to be times, especially in the, in the massive tragedies, that it's still going to be really hard to figure out where is God exactly in this. We may not know exactly here in this lifetime. But we do need to recognize that God definitely does work through suffering and evil. I think, for instance, of Romans chapter 5. 
where Paul is talking about suffering and evil. In Romans 5, verses 2 through 5, Paul says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But then he goes on to say, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Think about it, rejoicing in sufferings. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produ- produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. He is saying that a necessary ingredient in building our character is suffering and pain in our lives. Seems counterintuitive. But I think when we look at our own lives and we look at the things that have helped us to grow to be who we are today, oftentimes it's through tough times, through suffering. Doesn't, I'm not saying that explains everything bad that happens to us. But God definitely does work through these hard times. I think as well of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a place where Paul is describing all the suffering that he is going through. He describes it uh, in verses 16 through 18 as, as light and momentary afflictions. Paul is a person who suffered more than probably most of us will ever think about suffering in our lives. Multiple times he was beaten with whips, with rods, he was stoned. People thought he was dead because of the stoning. Uh, he was in prison multiple times. He went through three shipwrecks. He went through a lot of suffering in his life. He faced a lot of evil. Now listen in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, to how he describes those sufferings. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles... Listen to how he describes. Now he's saying light and momentary troubles. These, these sufferings he's been going through, are, are, he's saying, are pretty small. He says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He talks about fixing his eyes not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. He's saying that compared with the hope that we have in Christ, these, these challenges we're facing now pale in comparison. I think that's one of the things that God uses the trials in our lives to teach us is to depend on him, that this world is not our home. C.S. Lewis, uh, author from about 50 years ago, famously described pain as God's megaphone. That God uses pain to wake people up, to turn people to himself. Now, we may still think, well, I would like it. I think I'd turn to God even if there wasn't so much pain and suffering. But the reality is when you think about people's testimonies of how they came to know Christ or how they grew deeper in their commitment to God, many times those testimonies contain stories of pain or of suffering or even of tragedy. People can turn to Christ without that pain and suffering, but many, many times it's through some sort of loss or some sort of dream that was taken away from them that caused them to begin to turn to God more. I want to introduce you uh, on the screen to two different people. One uh, is a man named Christopher Hitchens. The other is Francis Collins. Christopher Hitchens is one of the world's most outspoken and best-known atheists. Uh, Francis Collins is a Christian who is the head of what is known as the Human Genome Project, a project that a few years ago completed the mapping of the human, uh, human DNA. They've each written books. Collins wrote a book called The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, wrote a book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Christopher Hitchens definitely does not like Christians very much. But it's interesting that these two men, through the years, they have debated many, many times in a public forum 
about the existence of God. Colin saying there is a God, Hitchens saying there is not one. But now after debating each other for many years, they have become friends. Let me tell you about the reason why they became friends. Christopher Hitchens recently developed a very severe form of cancer that will be terminal unless something is able to cure it. Uh, Normal treatments can't cure this cancer. There is an experimental treatment that he's trying out, though, that requires uh, looking at the DNA in his body and repairing damaged parts of the DNA. Guess who is pioneering this experimental technique to treat this cancer? Francis Collins. Francis Collins is developing a treatment and trying it on Christopher Hitchens, which is Hitchens' only hope of saving his life. They've developed a friendship. Uh, Christopher Hitchens says it's a rather wonderful relationship. He has nothing but respect and admiration for Francis Collins, the same man who he used to debate about the existence of God. I believe that God is using pain and cancer in Christopher Hitchens' life to serve as a megaphone to wake him up to the fact that there is a God and he needs to turn to him. Will that happen? I don't know. It has yet to be seen. But that's what God does. He works through suffering and pain. He redeems it in a sense to turn us to himself. And we know finally that God will judge and overcome evil in this world. If you think about Revelation chapter 21 where, where John writes that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There will come a time when Jesus returns when evil will be judged when suffering for those who have faith in Christ will be no more. That is something we have to hope for the future. This is basically the theological or philosophical reason why there can still be a God with all the evil in the world. God created the world to be good, but by our free choice, we turned against God and that opened the door for evil and suffering. But one day, God will overcome that. But I bet that for some of you, maybe even for many of us, This argument still leaves us feeling a little bit empty. We face our own struggles and challenges and losses in our life. That we think, you know what, that makes sense. Logically, I can see how that works. But I still feel a big hole in my life. Let me tell you a story about this. Um, Back when I was in seminary, I had a professor named uh, John Feinberg. I had him for a couple different classes, my first semester and my last semester. Dr. Feinberg has written a lot of books. He's studied a lot about God. I have a book in my office that's literally that thick. I thought about bringing it up here today, but I didn't. He is a brilliant man. Back when he got married to his wife, Pat, in 1972, uh, Pat's mom was, had been in the hospital for a number of years with various ailments, most significantly with a disease called Huntington's disease, which attacks uh, brain cells and slowly destroys them. It's a terminal disease. Before they got married, they went to a doctor to find out what are the odds of Pat inheriting this disease uh, just so they could be prepared for the future? The doctor said it's not a hereditary disease. There's no way she can get it from her mom. Well, about 15 years later, Pat began to develop the symptoms of Huntington's disease, twitches, and it progressed. They even went back to the doctor when they were ready to have kids to find out, is there any way our kids could inherit this? They said no. But Pat began to develop this disease that was disabling her. And when I met Dr. Feinberg, um, his wife was in a wheelchair. He was still caring for her. And he would wheel her on the campus every day when he would come to teach. He'd take her into the library 
and sit her at a desk there. And I remember walking to the library uh, on a regular basis, seeing her there. He would put a little card catalog in front of her. She would sometimes fiddle with the cards, mostly just sit there blankly looking ahead of her. She wasn't very functional anymore at that point. By the time I graduated, uh, he had to put her in a care facility where she could get 24-hour constant care. It was really sad to see what was taking place here. And Dr. Feinberg is a man who has spent much of his life researching this problem of evil. Listen to what he says. He says, although I had spent much, of my, much time in my life up to this point thinking about the theological problem of evil, he said, I, I even wrote my doctoral dissertation on it. He said, I couldn't make sense of what was happening. How could this happen to us when we had given our lives in service to the Lord? I knew that believers aren't guaranteed exemption from problems, but I never expected something like this. I was angry that God allowed this to happen. So here's this man who spent his life investigating the theological and philosophical reasons for why God could allow evil. And now when he's facing a severe tragedy and suffering in the life of his wife, He's dealing with the emotional side of this. This is the personal side of the problem of evil that I want to spend just a few moments addressing right now. If, if, not if, when each of us face trials and suffering and tragedy in our lives, there are three things I want us to remember. One is that pain is very real. When we face pain in our lives, it's real. We don't want to minimize that. We don't want to sweep it under the rug or pretend like it's not real. Pain is very real. And we see throughout Scripture that, that pain is validated in people's responses. Think about Job. He cursed the day that he was born, saying, it would have been better if I'd never been born. Hannah, a woman in the Old Testament who was infertile, she was very sad uh, that she couldn't have a child at that point. She wept and cried out to God. We see David at the death of one of his children wept. Jesus at the death of one of his friends wept. Paul, when he was facing some sort of ailment, he pleaded with God over and over, please take this away from me. Pain is very real. And the most healthy thing we can, or one of the most healthy things we can do is to acknowledge it and deal with it rather than sweeping it under the rug. But secondly, as we're, as we're dealing with the pain, we need to cling to God. Some of us, this will not be a challenging thing, but for many people, we deal with those feelings of anger that Dr. Feinberg felt when we're dealing with severe pain and suffering in our lives. But the cool thing is that God wants us to take all that anger and pain to him. Even think of the Psalms of Lament, the Psalms that are crying out to God, saying, God, where are you? Think of Psalm 13, which says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? God wants us to take the sorrow and pain to him, even to cry out, God, I'm angry right now. I don't know where you are. Change this. God wants us to take these things to him, to cling to him. And finally, encourage each one of us when we're going through challenging times to lean on trustworthy friends. We can't get through these times alone. But if we have others around us who will be trustworthy and support us and help point us to God, we can get through these times. I want to encourage you, if you are someone who's trying to help someone else through a difficult time, to, think, to realize that oftentimes when people ask questions about where is God right now, they aren't looking for that theological answer. They're looking for a hug and a shoulder to cry on. That's probably not the time to quote, quote Romans 8.28 and say, well, the Bible says that God works everything together for the good of those who love him. Probably not the appropriate time to quote that. 
What they're looking for is a hug and a listening ear and a shoulder to cry on. Pain is real. Suffering is real. But one other cool thing is that we have a God who's personally experienced pain and suffering in his own life in the form of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he experienced pain and suffering personally. Even on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his book called The Reason for God, Tim Keller points to Jesus' work on the cross and showed two, re- two answers that the cross says, you know what, these answers are not answers in terms of the problem of evil. He says the cross clearly shows that when we look at pain and suffering in our lives, it's not that God doesn't love us. The cross shows with that, beyond the shadow of a doubt that God does love us. He says, secondly, the cross shows us that God is indifferent or detached from our condition of suffering and pain. Jesus came to take care of that on the cross. He knows the pain of suffering. So if we ever doubt that God loves us, look at the cross. If we ever doubt God's power, look at the resurrection. I want to close just by reminding us to turn our eyes to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Even as, as we face this big but in our lives of, but how could God allow so much suffering and evil? May we come to this point where we, even when it doesn't make complete sense, that we can trust in him. And as we do so, he's going to refine us and give us a hope for heaven that we could never have without that suffering and pain. Let's pray. Our Father, this is a challenging topic. I pray that you will be at work in our lives to help us to trust you through this time, to turn our focus to Jesus. And I pray especially for those in our midst who are facing personal challenges, personal senses of loss. That pain is real, Lord, and I pray that you will draw each one of these individuals and families close to you through this time. And Lord, now as we come to this time of giving back to you, we pray that you will use these tithes and offerings to spread your gospel, your good news of hope around this world. We lift up our missionaries, Rodney and Faith Unruh in Kenya, We pray that you will work through them as they teach in school, that you will work through them as Rodney coaches soccer, and we pray, Lord, that you will give them guidance and wisdom for their future, that they may continue to bring you honor and glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.